Hello guys and welcome to the return of the Football Funders podcast. Two of the three original hosts remain. It's myself, Dan Finch and Pete. Pete, good evening. Good evening, how are we doing? I'm really good, thanks. And a newbie. So Ryan, please welcome yourself to the Football Funders podcast. How do so today, of course, we'll be looking back at Euro 2020, although it was in Euro 2021, and that does still bother me. A tournament where England got so close, yet so far. We're going to discuss overachievers, now underperformers, and our very own team of the tournament, and then look forward to the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. So we'll start talking about England first and their tournament. Um, I just want to say, I actually think for the first time, it was nice to see a country all together and really supporting the team. I think everyone had different opinions on the team, but the way the, the the fans came together, we'll ignore the politics and the stupidness at the final, but the way the building up to the semis and the quarters, I thought they were really together. Uh, I, I, for my part... Po- the... Yeah, go on, sorry. No, I said, you hit, you go, Pete, go. Yeah, just uh, uh, for me, it was... Um, uh, I... I uh, I think the potential with uh, England supporters has always been there to be that united, but we've never really had a team uh, since, well, since the last World Cup, but before that, we hadn't had a team since 96, and then before that, 1990, that, that would um, would get the, the, everyone together. And um, the fact that we got a, semi, a semi-final and then get into the final, I mean, everyone was, I think, uh, uh, over the moon. I was happy getting to the semi-final before the tournament, but once we got to the final, we got to win it, and then the disappointment kicks in. Monday was horrible, horrible, but they did bring the t- everyone together. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think I remember going into the tournament, me and Ryan had a lot of discussions about it, and one of the things that we both said is, we get to the quarterfinals and get past a Germany or a Portugal, that's seen as a success. And then all of a sudden, we went further than that, and you could say, I know a lot of people will say, oh, you've only beat Ukraine, you've only beat Denmark, but you still have to beat what's in front of you. Ryan, what did you think of the tournament? Um, the results were better than I expected in terms of how far we got. The style of play, I'm really not happy with. For the talent we have, um, to the tactics we used, I think a lot of players were criminally underused. But at the end of the day, you can't really knock the fact because we got to the final. Yeah, but tactically, I thought in the final, we were very naive. I think we learned a harsh lesson there because I don't think... Uh, in, uh, it was... After an hour of the game, it was obvious Itty were bang on top. They were back in the game. It was 1-1 and they were knocking on the door. After an hour, the changes should have been made. I mean, some an experienced player like Jordan Henderson. Uh, a little bit more now on the pitch, I think. Uh, and maybe uh, Grealish or even Sancho. Sancho, we just never saw. Uh, we got, we got what? And how much time did we see for, of Jaden Sancho? All those attacking options. My big worry before it, and I think I spoke to Dan about this several times, was the defence. I was terrified. I thought our defence was all over the place. And then the first team selection comes out, and Kieran Trippier is on the left, and that, that freaked me right out. I, I nearly lost the plot there. And then, yeah, I thought um, the the final, as you said about the changing of the sixty minutes mark. I really felt Harry Kane was losing every battle he was in. And I'm not necessarily blaming him, but every time the ball got up there, it was not sticking. And I just wondered, would it be worth taking off one of the defensive-minded players and putting on a Rashford or, as you said, a Sancho or... I know Foden wasn't there, but a Jack Graylish and put them just in behind the striker to try and pick up that loose ball. I think because every time the ball was going up, it was coming back at us. 
And it was a matter of time until they scored, as far as I was concerned. When they put the ball in the net, I went, well, that's been coming. I'm going to have to disagree with both of you, I think. I think the biggest mistake they made was at half-time, I think they should have actually dropped Mason Mount into midfield to assist Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips because we were being massively overrun in midfield. Verratti was running the show from, what, basically from about 15 minutes in. And I think those two guys needed more support than they actually got. So I think the mistake they made was instead of just changing personnel, I think they should have matched at least 4-3-3. And then you can talk about maybe bringing a Sancho and a Rashford in um, to freshen legs up in in cases of Sterling and Saka when they run out of energy. I think uh, for me, I think uh, taking Mount off at half-time and putting Henderson on an experienced head in that midfield to uh, to help Philip Because Phillips and Rice, they've, in, in international terms, are very inexperienced. They've got no European experience. They've just got league experience and a few games for England. All right, they've had three or four games, for, you know, for England. I mean, they were a smash, a great, great partnership. Phillips and Rice, that's the future for England. With that, those two are going to have to be part of the future of England. But someone like Jordan Henderson coming on, take Mason Man off or whoever. I'm not sure about bringing Rashford on. For me, he's, he's been out of form. But the thing with Harry Kane, I don't think we play to his strengths enough. And if you look how he play at Tottenham, I think it's it's very different style. So and he gets precious few chances in England, and he had no chances in the first three games. How many balls did he get into him? Hardly any. I remember having a conversation with Ryan about literally that thing. We were talking about how Song Hyun Min is so big for the way that Tottenham play and how Harry Kane features. And England don't have that kind of player. Sterling isn't that kind of guy who plays that role. Um, I think Harry Kane needs someone off him to distract and then also for him to play nice one-twos. There's a lot of times he'd drop in to mm. receive the ball and there was no give-and-go option because Sterling had run in behind. He was quite good with Saka. Saka did it well. Yeah. But obviously, Saka didn't play every game. Sterling did. You look at um, Kane at Spurs and he uh, he creates as much as he scores as well. We, we didn't see that side of his game at, at all in this uh, championship. But, you know. Sterling you can't argue with because Sterling was our top scorer, pretty much our top scorer, and I thought we had a good tournament. I think in respect to Harry Kane, if you look at the first opening few minutes against Italy, there was a very distinct designed play of Harry Kane would drop off, feed the ball out to one of the full-backs or wing-backs in that case, and they would whip the ball in. And that's actually how I think we got the goal against Italy. If I remember rightly, Kane dropped off, fed a wide ball to Trippier who crossed it for sure. I think what Harry Kane is actually lacking is what England is lacking is a midfielder that can actually take the ball, manipulate the ball and control play. I think what England misses nowadays is someone like a Paul Scholes in his pomp that would just drop off, pick up the ball off the back four, dictate the play, spread the ball about. I think that's the one thing we don't have. Uh, when we had him under Sven, he was mis- he was played out on the left half the time, wasn't he? But he, he but you're not going to find it. Paul Scholes is a. I mean, if you talk to other players, any pro player like Zidane, they all say that Scholes is one of the best players they've played against. Uh, he's a very very rare talent. But you want someone with those abilities, not with those abilities, but with the ideas that Scholes has. You, you're probably not going to find a player another player like Scholes in years. That's the problem. We just got to find someone that can do that that movement for, between the two positions. 
I think the I think the midfielder that should have gone that didn't go, um, who I'm actually a big fan of, who could have probably done something a little bit similar but not exactly the same, was James Ward Prowse. Mm-hmm. I think he's very good technically. Uh, his passing ability is yep. very good. His dead ball range is second to none, and he's got a massive engine on him as well. So I think um, I think it was a mistake he didn't go, and I think it's a mistake that he wasn't in the team. Yeah, um, I completely agree with that Ward Prowse point. Um, I felt that the midfield, the options were samey. Uh, I know Pete, you were saying about bringing on Jordan Henderson. I don't think he changes a Rice or Phillips. I get mm. what you mean by bringing off Mount. I I don't see. I see them as very like they don't change the style we're playing. I think if we had a Ward Prowse who can come on, ping the balls around and get into the areas, Bellingham would have been nice to see some more because yeah, we've seen. We've seen him play for uh, um, Dortmund and been fantastic doing that, being the man who gets the the change of ball for Sancho, for Royce, for Haaland. Obviously, we don't have a Royce and a and a and a Haaland. We have a Sancho, which didn't play him. But having that option, we didn't use him, and I felt that really hampered us when we were trying to bring the ball forward. There was just no options for for England there. I think if you look at the way Calvin Phillips plays, he's a great defensive midfielder. But if you look at the way he plays at Leeds. Uh, he gets forward a lot more. And, he, and when he did get forward for England, he set up that very first goal for Raheem Serling. In, but I think he, both he and Rice have got instructions, sit there and hold. And then they need possibly to free Calvin Phillips up a bit more next time and give him a little bit more licence. Because Rice will just sit in that, that little area. And, and just So if you've got Jordan Henderson and Rice and you've got Calvin Phillips there as well, bang, bang, bang. You, Calvin Phillips can, can bridge that gap between the central midfield and attacking midfield and, getting, and creating a link to Kane or to the, the wider players. That's, you know, that's... But what do I know? But I, I, what I was impressed with was Luke Shaw for me. I mean, cause he, he had that horrible injury a few years ago, That uh, 10 years ago, game game over. And then he had a, a horrible time with Mourinho. And I'm, I really hope Mourinho was sitting at home thinking, what did I do to this poor kid? But I, I think it's made Luke Shaw stronger, but he's he shoved those words down Jose the busted flush's mouth, uh, neck, hasn't he? Because uh, Jose is a busted flush. I'm leaving that one here, right here now. Um, I can only echo that, um, but what I will say is a lot of people give credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for man-managing uh, Luke Shaw, and rightly so, but I think Mike Phelan, who was the first person that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer brought back in, has taught uh, Luke Shaw a, a new level to his defensive game, which has allowed him to progress in his attacking game, because we all knew that he could, he could get forwards and he could attack well. Um, but it was his defensive side that let him down. So I don't think Mike Phelan quite gets enough credit for the job that's been done with Luke Shaw. Um, but I think personally, just skipping a little bit ahead for today's show, but I'll drop it in now. I think Luke Shaw was my player of the tournament. I think he I'll... deserves a shout. Yeah, he's definitely in with a shout. Yeah, he's in my team. <laughs> well, we, uh, well, this is where, yeah, I've got a problem here with the, with, with the team. This is where my, well, well, there'll be an argument here, I suspect. Uh, but, um, Pickford was another one coming into the tournament. Oh, he'd had a really iffy season with uh, with Everton, hadn't he? And, and mind you, if I was an Everton player, I'd have an iffy season, to be honest. But um, he's had an iffy season with Everton, and he's made a few... But you can say about Pickford, he has never made a mistake uh, when playing in goal for England that I can remember too many serious mistakes. I don't think he made many mistakes in this championship, did he? 
Well, it's not, um, it's not no, major mistake. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a major mistake. I think there's a, he's a very good shot stopper and he's proven that in the Euros. His passing, what game was it? Was it the Denmark game? Oh, it was all over the shot, wasn't it? 15 minute spell. His passing was awful. Uh, he panicked a lot. But I do agree overall as a shot stopper. I mean, we went to the penalties and I didn't feel that he was going to be the, the problem. I thought if we no. lose this, it's because we're not going to score the penalties. I felt Pickford would save a penalty or two, which he ended up doing. He saved two penalties. Uh, Just, have, you know, sadly for us, England missed three. Have you seen the video of him uh, as he's waiting to take the penalty? He's sitting there and he's saying to himself, no problem, no problem, no problem. Love yeah. that. Oh, I love that in a player, talking to himself. I will say in defence of Pickford and a little bit of criticism of Pickford, he, for me, shot stopping, he's pretty good. Feet, not too bad. He is still all over the shop mentally. Uh, he did very well in the group stages, but I noticed the further we pro- progressed, the more dodgy his decision-making became. There was one, one situation, I, th- I think it was the Germany game, um, where he came charging out to clear the ball. Um, and he got his position in perfect, but then he tried to kick it and lofted it straight up into the air and a defender had to challenge it for it mm. to win it off of an opponent. So he seems to have good ability as a goalkeeper, but it kind of reminds me with it's kind of similar to Joe Hart in the sense he overwinds himself up, gets himself too hyped up, and then becomes erratic because of it. Now, given a choice, now Dan, you can't answer this because you've seen this guy play a lot. If you if you had a choice between Nicky Pope Ryan or Jordan Pickford, who are you going for? To be honest, if it was me personally, I wouldn't have either of them. But so who else? Two, um, uh, mine would have been Dean Henderson. Uh, personally, I think he's just the mine. better natural goalkeeper all the way around. Out of between Pope and Pickford, I think Pope is the more solid goalkeeper. I would rather have a goalkeeper who is better with his hands and his decision making than is better with, with his feet. The the reason I ask Dan not to give his opinion is because we saw Pope when he was quite young. Uh, when he had a mistake in him, but something's happened, and I'm not sure what it is because he's it, well since he's but that from his first full season at Burnley, he's just he's just he's totally different to the player uh, that we his confidence is there. Whereas at Charlton, you knew he was a good keeper because everyone, I mean, people who are good judges are saying he's a good keeper. Just didn't think he was an England keeper. But now, yeah, it's a tough choice, though, isn't it, for for Southgate if Pope's fit. I think um, for me, as you said about watching Pope at Charlton, he was always a great shot stopper, but he was one of those players, one of those keepers when he was young, he would save the one that has no right to be saved and the dribble would go in and you'd be, how did that happen then? Yeah. But um, anyway, as we, we'll come off England and we'll yep, move, yep, on yep. To, move on to the eventual winners, the Italians. Um, they're a team that I think Ryan, before the tournament even started, had a, we had a conversation and I was a bit unsure. And Ryan turned around and said, there's the winners. He looked at their squad and said, there's the winners. So, Ryan, please explain why you said that. Um, to, to be honest, it started because um, I was a bit confused because when the pundits were talking about dark horses at the start of the tournament, um, they were leaning heavily on Turkey. And I looked at the Turkey squad no. and I was like, if you compare that to the Italy squad that has got Verratti that has got Locatelli. Uh, it, Chiesa, I'm a massive fan of Chiesa. Um, I was d- devastated when he went to Juventus. 
Um, Insigne is just a magician. And Immobile and Belotti will always get your goals. And then, like I said, you look at the midfield and you look at the, uh, the back four. I didn't know too much about the full backs, but obviously the two central defenders everybody knows about, everybody talks about. The, the goalkeeper is one of the best in the world and he's still only 22 years old. So when I just looked at the squad as a whole, and uh, the fact that they hadn't been, I think they missed the last World Cup or was it the World Cup? Yeah, it's the last World Cup. They, yeah, they had something really big to prove and they had massive talent in there. And there was also talent missing. There's uh, Pellegrini's missing. Uh, is it Zanolo or Zanoli? Yeah. I can't quite yeah, pronounce Zanolo. his name. Massive, massive young talents that didn't even... I don't even know if they were in the squad, to be honest. Um, so I just looked Pelle, at Pelle that... really was, but pulled out. Yeah. I just looked at that squad for the players they had, and I was just like, who is not picking this side to at least make the semis? Well, that's the thing. I think Mancini needs a, a lot of credit for what he's done to that Italian team. I think it was, including the final, they've not lost in 34 games now. It's 34, um, yeah. Which is it's crazy. You know, I think um, the biggest thing for me with Italy is when they lost Spinazzola. He was uh, the wing-back that I think everyone was praising around Europe, especially on British TV. It was a lot of uh, praise for Spinazzola. He dropped out and the question was, can you replace him? Will they still play a style it, without they, him? They didn't notice. He didn't notice he wasn't there, though. Against England, no, for sure. No. He didn't notice. No, they, that played, he... they brought in Emerson, who... Um, Obviously, of Chelsea has barely played all season, and and I, the stuff seen Emerson look in the three or was it three games since Spinazzola got injured. Yeah. I think the other thing that Italy need credit for, and Mancini in particular, is he managed to adapt his team mid-game, so he would change things when they weren't quite going their right way, and they made, and then he made other teams change their style of. The opposition changed their style against Italy, so I think that is the key thing when it came to replacing their left back with a with a new one was the fact that they were able to adjust the way they play and still be as effective. That's why we didn't win the final, really, because we didn't adapt our tactics. The other thing with the Italians was their team spirit. Uh, that was immense. I mean, I looked at when I looked at the uh, Benucci and I looked at especially Chiellini. I'm thinking, in the final, they've had a couple of games where they've gone to extra time. We should have been really getting at him for pace. Uh, and when someone did run at him, well, when, was it uh, Saka ran at him? He just grabbed him by the shirt. He just grabbed him by the shirt. So I think that's something we didn't exploit, and we should have done. We really should have. That we were poor. Well, I think. I think... Go on, Ryan. All I was going to say is I think that in the final, I think we set up tactically far too negatively. Um, I understand going for the security, um, but I mean, the fact that we only have one shot on target, I think tells the entire story for that final. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, as Ryan said, uh, a player that I was massively impressed with for the Italian for the whole uh, tournament was Chiesa. And um, I felt that when uh, he... Mancini made the changes and moved Chiesa. I think he played on the left and they moved on the right, moved him over to the left. That's when he really started to cause us problems. And as Ryan said about the, um, their, their changing of tactics, um, I mean, they took off Immobile for uh, Domenico Berardi, who is a winger that also goes up front. And at that point, they had three wingers effectively up front. And I think 
they were just running at the back, our back five, and you could see that our back five was scared stiffless of the <coughs> time it came forward. There was just no option. And then they brought on Bellotti, as you said, a goal scorer. Like, you've got to be wary of Bellotti's goal scoring ability. I think Torino almost got relegated. He was in double, like, 20 odd goals this season. There's not a defender around in the world that wants a player running at them. There's none of them. Players running at you at pace, nobody wants that. Whether they're English, Italian, Spanish, whatever. No defender in the world wants that. That's just, they can't cope with that. They like all the passing, they you know, but you run at pace at a defender and there's, uh, you, you, you'll get them going. And I think that, for me, that was the most frustrating thing watching the final. Because if you look at the age of their squad, um, especially their centre-half, and we have basically got probably four of the fastest talents at the World Cup, uh, at the Euros, we had... Sancho, Rashford, Sterling and Saka, all of them unbelievably quick. Mm. And it was just completely nullified. I mean, the fact that Jaden Sancho played one game, basically, throughout the whole tournament, I think that is just unbelievable. I mean, we had, what, seven games and Saka managed 96 minutes. That's, that's crazy. I don't understand why he... He probably managed more game time than Rashford, but I think he definitely should have had a, well, at least come on in the final. Rashford, Rashford, to me, hasn't been in form uh, at Man U towards the end of the season. He's had a shoulder injury and stuff. I don't think he's been... I don't think he's the... He's a really, really good player, but he's not been in the type of form that you would... I would. He's not my first choice of sub to come on. It would be Sancho or somebody else. It wouldn't be Rashford. And the, 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 and I can understand why Calvert Lewin doesn't come on because I don't, you know he's just not for me. I don't think he's an England player. I, that's my right. opinion. Sorry, sorry, I've got to jump in here on Rashford. Rashford. Oh, uh, Man United fan! Going... Man United fan! Alert! I'm, no, wait, wait actually, I'm actually going to criticise Marcus Rashford here because <laughs> for the last year I have sat and watched Man United and I have seen him change his running style. I've seen him change the way he strikes the ball. Uh, and basically, he's basically trying to turn himself into Cristiano Ronaldo. If you, look at the, if you just look at his technique now compared to two years ago, it's completely different. Uh, we all know Marcus Rashford's done wonderful things over the last 18 months. He's a fantastic human being. Hmm. But for me, I think he's become a bit too big time Charlie. I think he's got too full of himself and he's believed the hype <coughs> around him talent-wise, and as a result, his game has suffered. Yes, he's had a shoulder injury, but it doesn't seem to have affected his ability to be on the pitch, and it doesn't seem to have affected his ability to run with the ball. So, for me, I think what he needs to do is take a leaf out of Dan James's book. Dan James had a very good first period with Man United, second season not so good, and Dan James said in an interview himself, that he, he was trying to be like other people instead of being himself. So I think that's what Rashford needs to get back to doing. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And as you said, talking of big time, Charlies, uh, let's talk about the underachieving nature of the, uh, of the Euros. We'll, we'll all ch chuck in your thoughts. Um, I'll start. So mine's Holland. I immediately thought of Holland or the Netherlands. Um, I remember a lot of talk about the Netherlands being dark horses, someone that could make a late if the side of the draw went the way it actually did for them. Um, but I remember watching them against Macedonia and thinking, this isn't a great team. No offence to Macedonia. They actually showed up and did a lot better than I thought. But I think they conceded twice to Ukraine, 
they did demolish Austria, and then Macedonia they beat on paper. It was three 0 but Macedonia had their chances. I just didn't. I don't know what it was about and the Netherlands. Every time I looked at them, I just didn't feel comfortable thinking that they were. I didn't see them as a threat to England. No, 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 no. I, I was quite happy to play them because I think we could have got them easily. Easily, yeah, yeah, they definitely. They, uh, there was too many players. Uh, yeah, just not. I just don't think they're good enough uh, at the moment. Uh, I mean, there was all this talk a couple of years ago about the great Ajax team. Well, I, I don't see many of them coming through to the, the to the Dutch national squad. And on, oh, they're not the ones who lost to Tottenham in that semi final in the uh, the, the uh, Champions League. That tells you how good they were. They lost to Ch- Tottenham in the Champions League semi final. But I don't think. I think they were. They're a little bit overrated. Yeah, I think only. Probably two of them have actually come from the, the three that were being massively built up were uh, De Jong, Dilit, and Justin Clivert. So obviously Dilit uh, and De Jong both um, are Dutch internationals, but I, I think Clivert there obviously got sent off. Didn't hear of Clivert at all, did we? Just Justin Clivert fell off the. He's just moved to I think his Nice in France. Nice. He spent a little while in Italy. He's, not quite made the cut, I think, as people were hoping he would. Maybe because of his dad? don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Well, for me... Yeah, so they're just... Yeah, they're just... Um, yeah, the Dutch, just an average European side. They're no better than... than I mean, Switzerland are better than them, to be perfectly honest. If you look at the, the way the Swiss played, uh, it may be if the Dutch played with a bit more heart. I mean, you look at the Danes. How they got all the way to the semi-final, and that's not—that was not just on not not ability. There was that heart there from 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 the Danish, so, which the Dutch, and they've never really been a together side, have they? We've seen countless tournaments where the Dutch have turned up. Euro '96, they turned up and had arguments, uh, and it happens all the time with the Dutch. It just seems to be in their nature. They've got sometimes they have the talent. They don't have the attitude. I don't think they've got the talent, and I don't think they've got the attitude at the moment. So, flops. Uh, on, on the Dutch, on the Dutch, I will say it's an average squad. You talked hmm. about the Ajax side. Uh, Donny van der Beek was a part of that and uh, Ajax side, and look how well he's done in the Premier League. I think that says everything you need to know. My big underachievers, I think, would have to be France. The sheer level of talent that they've got throughout the squad, from back to front. And the fact that they brought Benzema back in after so long, and the fact that they didn't go on to this tournament and win it, uh, I th- I, that that was a big surprise. Yeah, I mean, the question, the, well, Griezmann the for me, the Griezmann's a big part of that because I think Pogba had a really good tournament, but Griezmann was was anonymous. Where was um, I, I'm, I, you know I play out in Spain. I'm a big player. No, you're not, mate. You haven't done it on the big stage again. You failed on this stage. You did it in the World Cup, but. You've not been able to follow it up. Not good. Not good. That's a flop I for me. If if you watch the French at Euro 2016, the World Cup in uh, sorry 20, 2018, 2018 the World Cup in 18, the missing piece that wasn't in literal the only difference is there was no Olivier Giroud in this squad, yep. and Olivier Giroud managed to hold the ball up that gave the Griezmanns and the Mbappes more room when you play with Benzema. He, he was in. He was Benzema to be the forward. He, he was. Play, he only played a yeah. handful of sub appearances where yeah. Benzema was. Benzema is a striker. He's going to score you goals and sit in the box. The reason that Giroud was so good is he could bring the ball down, so calm on the ball, feed Griezmann, gets busy, feeds Mbappe, gets busy, allows Pogba room, allows. It was Rabiot in this tournament. It was Medi in the four one. 
it's it struggles the team. They, I think they've really missed Giroud. I he's one of the most underrated players. He has been one of the most underrated players for years now. I mean, at Arsenal, he was underrated. At Chelsea, he was always on the bench. Yeah, just ridiculous. How can you do that? He's a goal scorer. Give him the opportunity. He's more than a goal scorer. It's like Lukaku at times. When he was at Man United and Everton, it was Lukaku's not good enough. Sorry, he is. He just he is. Just let him get on with it. No, no. Listen. The only place he's not scored goals is at Man United, and that's down to Mourinho and 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 whoever is his management at the time. Man United have dropped Sorry. a. No, no. Listen, hear me out on this. Man United dropped a huge ricket getting rid of him because he's better than any forward they've got at the moment at the moment i know there's a talent coming through but you should have kept lukaku that was man united's cock up lukaku hideously underrated by man united fans i hate it why that's happened with him right first things first let me say let's talk about lukaku then lukaku if you look at his record at man united it's actually really impressive i think it's one every two games the problem with lukaku was he was massively, massively misused by Jose Mourinho. That's why I said that, uh, yeah. And secondly, yeah. And secondly, he didn't look after himself physically. If you look at the difference between Lukaku in Italy and Lukaku who left Manchester United, he must have lost about two stones. That's down to the club, not just the player. The club, because uh, you go to Italy and if you, if you, you've got all the, the tests and stuff. And if you don't fail those tests, you don't play. Man United, that's down to management. Man United didn't manage him properly. That's and he didn't. If he did, fair enough, he may not have managed himself properly. But Man United are his employers, and they've got every right, and they didn't clearly. Uh, and so that's Man United's loss. I'm afraid that's Mourinho and that lot. They've 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 balls that up really for Man U because he's going to get you 20 goals a season, and that's what every team needs. And he's as you said, his goal scoring record. Oh, he doesn't look interested. He only looks interested when there's a when he gets in the box. That's when he gets interested. When he can get a whiff of goal, that's what he's about. And don't knock him. He's uh, but yeah, if he was if, but he was mismanaged as, as you said. Yeah, I think um, I completely agree. I think Lukaku is one of the best strikers in the world. Top five. Yeah, easily. easily. Um, easily. And again, he's the kind of striker that France could have helped with. We're talking about how the French were, played Benzema and they needed someone to... The good thing about Lukaku is not only does he, as you say, get in the box and score goals. If you watch him for Inter, he's also very good at holding the ball up to allow others to, to move yeah. around him and cause a lot of problems. Obviously, in Inter, they play with five at the back. So it was Ashley Young and... Kind of who's on the other side. Oh, Hakimi, and they would often push high up, get the ball in. They could whip chances in. There's Ericsson, yeah. Luka- uh, Lukaku, uh, Martinez was at Inter Milan and France. Again, they missed that focal point that could have been. But they changed it back to Benzema. As Ryan said, there was a lot of hype about Benzema getting back in the team for the first time since 2010, I think, with yeah. his last squad. And then also they missed Matuidi, and I wonder how much swapping Matuidi out for Rabio, who I felt you didn't really hear Rabio's name during the tournament if they did they miss Matuidi um that, that really pushed them up the pitch so um, I'm, I'm, sorry I'm going to come in on here on this I don't think Rabio was the problem I think you nailed it earlier I think Giroud was the one that was missing you are chain you are bringing in a completely different striker and changing your style of play so fundamentally that Griezmann didn't get the service uh the time that he would have had before. I think Rabiot is a more than capable replacement for Mutuidi. Um, so I think the problem was up front with France. And to be honest, they still did score a lot of goals. But Griezmann um, not playing well as well. Griezmann had a poor tournament, really, for his standards. 
as I said earlier. So for me, he was a big, a big flop for the French. I think he was almost one of their leading goal scorers. I think. Well, Griezmann in the World Cup, in the World Cup, the leading World Cup in yeah. uh, Russia. He had a great World there. Cup. Oh, he looked um, world class in the World Cup, and that's gone. I don't know if he even scored at the Euros. Uh, but, the, I mean, also, talking, sorry, also talking of underachievers, you could. We were just talking about Lukaku. You could aim that at Belgium. I, know I was about to say. Um, I know they had a few injuries going into the tournament. Hazard's not been fit for about two years. Uh, De Bruyne was obviously his face was basically destroyed at the end of the season, um, but they still had sufficient talent in that squad to, to to go further than they did. Well, the best Hazard on the pitch was his brother. So, and, and, and the fact that in their last game he was left on the bench and didn't come on, Eden Hazard. Uh, I mean, that's a big uh, a big loss for them because. He's probably the most talented player in that Belgian side. But as you said, at Real Madrid, since he's left Chelsea, he's just not been the same player, has he, really, for me? Something's gone on there. Uh, another flop for me. Uh, anyone in a Scottish shirt? <laughs> Especially a goalkeeper's jersey. I mean, it's just... Um, uh, I, I mean, they do need to... Say well done to Scotland. I mean, they did win well, their point. Well, they? well, well, they got their point at Wembley. Yeah, you know, that's that's what they came for, isn't it? And uh, but the Czechs dealt with them in the first game, and then they lost. Yeah, so there was no. There's no surprise with the the way that the Scot Scotland performed, was there? Really? Um, was anyone surprised with their not qualifying? It's like what they do. Well, I'm I think they could. Sorry, go on, Dan. Go on, Ryan. Well, I was just going to say, you know, for Scotland, I think they were overachievers at the Euros. So, um, well done. Congratulations on winning the... Nil-nil uh, cup, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject of overachievers, um, I think we have to start with Denmark. I think um, just for even if you ignore off-field or on-field, sadly, but the issues with Christian Eriksen, who I hope and I'm sure we all echo, is recovering well wherever he Absolutely. is. Um, but Denmark on the pitch, they completely surprised me. I knew they were going to be a good side and get out of the group. I had a conversation with Ryan quite early in the tournament where I said, Denmark are a good side. They will beat a big side. Um, I thought Kasper Dahlberg has shown the talent that he has that has been shown on Football Manager for many years. So I'll take that <laughs> one as a... Um, their wing-back, who I can't pronounce his name, I think it's Mahile, Joachim Mahile. Yeah. Atalanta wing-back, different class. I thought he was so good. Kasper Schmeichel, we know about Kasper Schmeichel. Um, and then, you know, Hoiberg and Delaney in the midfield, I felt were, were fantastic. So uh, I'll lead on to you two to talk about some overachievers. Well, I thought Denmark uh, massively overachieved for me because I, I even even with Christian Eriksen, I thought they were a bang in trouble and they, they'd they get out of the group, they'd be out fairly early. And, and once um, Eriksen uh, got ill, and, and as you said, like he's on, on the men, but once they lost Eriksen, I just feared the worst for them, especially as they lost. I mean, that was a disgrace that they were made to play that replay the following day. Uh, that, that something needed to be done differently there. Because I don't know what the solution. I haven't got a solution, but that just strikes of your of your A for saying, oh, "We don't care. We just got to get the game played, at whatever cost." And and that could have set Denmark back. I mean, that losing that first game, but they bounced back for it. And the amount of the heart and the character within that side. Now, can they carry that on in in the World Cup qualifying and take that to the the next World Cup? I don't know, but um, they have. Uh, They've massively overachieved because I had them getting possibly getting into the second round, but after they lost Ericsson, I didn't see them qualifying from the group. I really didn't. And but uh, yeah, it's just the uh, the absolute 
character of that that team amazing uh, absolutely incredible on the subject um, of Denmark, sorry, on the subject of Denmark, no I'm surprised you've missed out on one of their best players, Dan, which was Damsgaard, um, who came in yeah. to replace Ericsson and actually did a very good job. I'm actually going to disagree with Pete um, oh. when it came to when it came to not thinking that they were going to qualify, because I thought the momentum of what happened to Christian Ericsson would carry them over the line. Uh, yeah. I didn't expect them to get as far as they did. But as Dan's actually pointed out, they actually have some very good Premier League and Bundesliga players in their squad now. And as he mentioned, uh, Dolberg, who I'm a big fan of, who seems to be fulfilling his potential that he had at Ajax, uh, it wasn't a surprise to me. I still thought they did overachieve and they carried the wave of momentum over um, until they met us. Um, so... My pick for be for overachieving would actually probably be Ukraine. I didn't expect them to get as far as they did, um, which was quite a surprise. What about Switzerland? I think Switzerland, for me, and I remember saying this to Ryan, the first game Italy played, for me, Switzerland are a very, very underrated team. Yeah. The way their coach sets them up. Hmm. Do you think, I'm not being funny, but they took France to penalties, beat them, the best team in the world on paper. They took Spain with 10 men to penalties. You don't do that without being a very good side. What, Switzerland, what? for me, are the gauge of a very, very... If, you're a, if you are one of the elite teams, you beat Switzerland. Yeah. I, I don't know if Ryan remembers having this conversation, but Italy yeah. spanked Turkey. And I said to him, I'm not sure on Italy. I'll wait till the Switzerland game. They then put Switzerland to bed. And I went, that's it, Italy are a force. Because Switzerland are so, so good. But on the Ukraine side of things... They really impressed me. I do also wonder if their group was not easy, but played them into that situation. We've discussed what we thought of the Netherlands. They were very unlucky to lose against the Netherlands. I think it was quite a late goal from Dumfries. And is it Yuramchuk, their striker? is a very yep. talented striker. Yarmolenko, we know if Yarmolenko can stay fit, he's a very good player. Hasn't been able to stay fit for West Ham. Um, they had Austria. Austria. Uh, we saw Austria play against England leading up to the tournament. England's basically second team uh, against Austria's strongest team. They didn't look much cop. And we, Macedon North Macedonia, bless them, were the minnows. And as much as I said, they deserve a lot of credit because they didn't just turn up and defend. Ukraine should have beat them and did. Do you think the three teams that came out of the group of death, all highly tipped, all failed, do you think they knocked each other out they batted each other too much in the group stages. So what did they get? Oh, they just weren't good enough. I didn't I, think Portugal were going to win it again. Not for a minute, because Ronaldo's a busted flush for me. Um, he's just not the player he was. And I scored a lot of goal, but he's not the player he was. He's lost some pace. He still is the player, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. He's not. I Trust me. I wouldn't say that they knocked themselves out. I actually think, with the exception of France, I think they were maybe built up a bit more than they would because Portugal have got fantastic players, but their team is geared to play to Ronaldo. So if Ronaldo doesn't show up, and to be fair, he still scored a lot of goals. Yeah, he scored a lot of goals, but he's, he's you know, he's the legs aren't, he hasn't got it for 90. He, he's not going to, if you're going in extra time, you don't want Ronaldo on the pitch, do you, really? I do. He's, and, he's not no, I don't. No, no, you don't. His legs. Not, He's not going to really be able to run after about 70 minutes, let's be yeah. honest. In the terms Can of Germany, 
Germany, again, have got some very good talent coming through. Kai Havertz, I know Timo Werner's not had a good time. Uh, Leon Goretzka, I, I love as a midfielder. I think they're great. They also mixed it up and brought back some of the older players. But that squad, uh, that Germany squad, is just not as good as I think people thought it was. The fact that they they recalled, they, they, they retired after the World Cup, they act, the, the, the coach retired Hummels and uh, Muller and said, you're not playing again. And they've had to bring them back in. I mean, Mads Hummels, I, I thought would be the weakest link, but there was a recovery tackle run he made. He got absolutely slaughtered and he made a, a run to get back and get and make a last-ditch tackle, yeah, which for a man of a, a man of his, uh, you'd think he, he shouldn't be doing that. It's no way that should be happening, but he did. So his legs weren't as bad. I just thought he had the turning circle of a, a, a fuel tanker in the, in the English channel. Channel, to be honest well I, I think um the group of death was a very interesting group but i always saw france and portugal going through mm-hmm. the germans the the hump the the hype for the germans i don't understand why it was there this is a team that lost to north macedonia at home six months before this tournament with more or less the same team but obviously hummel and muller that's why hummels and muller came back they lost yeah. to macedonia and panicked yeah exactly but i mean he, he told him you're not playing again Lowe told them that, and it'd be interesting to see what talent, what what happens now that they'll have a new. They've got a new coach, haven't they? And yeah, and and, with, and he hasn't got long to get it sorted because unlike other years where you've got a good full two years before the next World Cup, it's less than eighteen months. It's it's in November and December think, of next year. So the core of the German squad is there. I think we saw, as Ryan said, you've got Havertz. You know, <coughs> you know, Timo Werner can score goals. It's in there somewhere. It's just having to get form out of him. I love Serge Gnabry. I think he's a real talent uh, off the wings. Didn't start at the England game, which I felt was a shock. Um, I like, is it Goosens, the left wing back? Mm-hmm. Um, is a good talent. Joshua. This day, they, you know, he's been playing for Germany for years. Well, England closed them down, didn't they, the way we played. Gareth Southgate got, spot that, got that spang on the money. He kept those two wingbacks, the, the, the marauding wingbacks, out of the game. They didn't get a look in against England, really. Uh, and it was only left to, to older, what's his name, Muller, who, uh, to, to miss that chance. And uh, that was hilarious. I absolutely I laughed my socks off when he missed that one. I thought that was one of the moments of the tournament. Because uh, I've, I've had enough of him giving it the big one against us. And, and so to see him miss that was a joy. Germany fall under the same bracket as I think Spain and a few other countries. Me and Ryan had this discussion again during this tournament. There isn't a natural striking option. Werner has spent time on the wings. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. As again, the Harry Kane, the Giroud, the Lukaku, the, even the Immobiles, the people that we've spoke about already. Germany don't have that. When they won the World Cup and the Euros back in, what, 2014, I think it was, they had Mario Gomez, who might not have been the star player in their squad, but he sat there, did the, the hard work, let Mario Goetze and Marco Reut and... And all these players get in and around and cause the problems, which exactly what Giroud did, as we talked about for France. They were trying to go Werner up front. They played Gnabry up front. I think uh, Havertz led the line against us, I think, if I'm correct. So, you know, there was they didn't have that natural outlet that I think is really important. The, the player that I, I really thought uh, stood out for me, the one that, uh, that I'd not seen before and suddenly Spinazzola uh, at, at Italy. Such a shame he, he did his Achilles because, as I think some, one of you said earlier, he was heads and shoulders. He just looked such a talent. He looked amazing in those first few games. He was just causing chaos. He was, his 
good at he's a very good defender, but he's even better going forward. He's got the lot. He's got the full package there, uh, and hopefully, I mean, he should be. It's an Achilles injury. He should be. Able to, it could take a while, but once he's back, he should be back in time for the World Cup. I would I would suspect, but it's a long way back from that Achilles injury. I think for Spurzola. He was going to be player of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. He was. There was going to be no like other thing. I think everyone the, the hype around Spinazzola, rightly so, was so big. He was a hundred percent going to be player of the tournament. Gets injured, and um, spoiler alert: it's why he misses out in my dream eleven. I was, I was watching that game, and uh, makes it is the first name. I was watching that game, and uh, uh, sometimes when you see a player carried off, you think, ha ha. That'll do. It's great. But I watched Sp- Spinozola go off and being carried off. And, and all right, and someone said to me, oh, that's brilliant. And I went, no, it's not. We've just seen one of the best players in Europe and he's, we're not going to see him anymore for ages. That's, that's criminal that we lost him. So I, that, I, I, normally I'd celebrate an injury, but not on that occasion because he was a player I like to watch. So I'm, I'm going to look out for him when he comes back. I think the other thing about as good as Spinozola was, I think the fact that he had Insigne in front of him um, also benefited him because the way Insigne plays and the fact that he likes to come inside left him with acres and acres and acres of space to run into. Mm. The only mm. downside for Spinazzola from here on out is when he recovers from injury, his new manager is Jose Mourinho. <laughs> He'll be coaching him from the touchline like he did with Luke Shaw, surely. Well, the thing is, the thing is, well, Spinozola is going to take at least nine months for him to come back uh, fit. So there's every chance that Jose won't be at Roma in nine months' time. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very true statement. But as we speak of Spinozola, I think we should get on to the UEFA team of the tournament. Well, yeah. UEFA's team, the UEFA's team of the tournament in front of me, and then we'll go through ours. See, I'm UEFA one. Can I just say my formation? I've got a formation that I'm playing, so I, that's how I've picked. Mine's, I've picked mine's a four-three-three, and I. So's mine. So's mine. What's yours, Ryan? What formation? Yeah, no, I talked about. I talked about this with Dan, and we 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 agreed it was going to be four-three-three. So that was fine. Right. Okay, right then. Cool. So the t- the UEFA's official team of the tournament is Donnarumma in goal, yeah. a back four: Kyle Walker, Leonardo Bonucci, Harry Maguire, and Leonardo Spinazzola. The midfield three of Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, Jorginho and Pedri. And a front three of Federico Chiesa, Raheem Sterling and Romelu Lukaku. Um, so I will say I, so, I have some of them in there. And uh, the Lukaku I've got, one shocked me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. but I've got a no, few. But, I've got a few of them. Uh, but I have got Lukaku. Right, so we'll start with you then, Pete. Take us through your 11. Okay. I've got uh, the Italian keeper, uh, Donna. What's his name? Him. Donnarumma. Yeah, Donnarumma. Now, my left back, Spinozola or Shaw? I think Shaw went all the time. I thought Shaw was just... I don't think don't think he had a bad game. I think because Spinozola, Spinozola's tournament ended a bit early, it has to be Shaw for me. Uh, Luke Shaw. I've gone Harry Maguire because just uh, I just thought he was the Harry Maguire that we thought he could be. I mean, he had a difficult season because he had a tough summer last year coming back. And the character to come back from that, and we've seen it with other players, and and he's come back. And he, in his form at times at Man U, wasn't brilliant, but 
we got the real Harry Maguire came back for England, and I was over the moon because I I've been watching him since since he did a number on Charlton at uh, Bramall Lane in an FA Cup quarter final, and the, and the, and he started to do the thing that I like about him. He's not only I mean he won more headers, he won more percentage of heading duels than anyone else in the tournament. Uh, old slabhead, yeah. But what I like about him is he's quite happy. He'll get the ball, and if there's a gap in front of him, he'll run in it to it. And that upset, that causes chaos. He did that. He did that. And, and the first time when I ever saw him play was when he was playing for Sheffield United against Charlton. And he did that time and time again in that game, didn't he? And and it scared the living daylight. So, I mean, the Charlton just didn't know how to cope with it. I think uh, they, if I'm correct, they scored off it as well. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, I'm if trying if to I'm gloss. Correct, he, ran, he ran forward and our midfield, which wasn't unlike that those times, capitulated. And um, ruined my Wembley dream. So thanks for that, Harry. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I had a bit of a bit of a more pressing Wembley dream. Had we got through that game, I would have compensated at Wembley. It didn't happen. <laughs> uh, 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 Harry, cheers, mate. Yeah, right, slabhead. I ate him. He's off the team on that basis for Sheffield United. <laughs> Next to him, I've got right. Kilini. I think. I think. I just no. Uh, to me, uh, um, and I'll tell you why. Because he's my captain. Uh, because the leadership qualities and uh, and and the way it, his the whole man he was loving life at this Euros he loved every minute of it you know we got uh, we've got uh, extra time coming I'll hug I'll give the opposition captain a big hug <laughs> a bear hug I, I mean and but he was chatting away to everyone I I I I, I loved him because he because years ago he provoked Zinedine Zidane and anyone who does that in my books a top man uh, that wasn't uh, Cellini. Was it not Cellini, yeah, was it? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's a matter sorry. Yeah, he looked they're similar. But no, no, um, but Cellini, just, I just thought his, his whole character, what a, what a boo-boo to drop there, right? But his whole character, his demeanour, and he's, a, he's just a... And it's his, he knows it's his last Euros, without a shadow of a doubt. He might make the World Cup, uh, but it might be a tournament too far. But he knew it was his last chance, and he just... He, I thought he was superb. So I've, I've stuck with him. Kyle Walker, I have got to agree with Kyle Walker uh, at right back. I can't think of anybody else. Uh, that I, I think Kyle Walker had a good, solid tournament. And I, I even liked Kyle Walker when he played in the, the three at the back with Maguire and Stones. Uh, and, and I like him. He gets forward and he causes a bit of chaos. And he won't take any crap off of anyone. I like that. I'm, um, I think I've put it to people that know me, you both probably fully aware, can't stand Kyle Walker. Uh, drives me mental. However, humble pie has to be eaten. He yep. was a very solid player in this tournament. Um, I felt, as you said, even when he played at the centre back, he actually looked like a defender for a change. There's been so I always remember, and I think it, the root problem, my problem with Carl Walker, is when we played Iceland at the Euros in 2016. Both goals came because he just wasn't defending, and the player walked past him to score twice. But he's so learned. That's that's the positive. Is he's a different player now. Yes, as I said he was so much better. But as we're on, we'll stop on defenders for you, and we'll go through mine and Ryan's. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do your defenders uh, so we can so pull that apart. My my goalkeeper is uh, Donnarumma. I think that will probably. I have a feeling go for all three of us. So I think he's he's now. Oh no no look 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 no. no. Or no. well, carry on. We'll go to, on in. We'll get we'll get to you, Ryan. My left back, as you said, is Luke Shaw. Uh, as I've just said before, um, it was it, w- it was going to be Spinozola. It was, wasn't it? Way, but Spinozola got injured, and I think Luke Shaw got better and better every game he played. And I don't see how you can't pick him. 
My centre-back partnership is an Italian with Harry Maguire. So it's Harry Maguire and Benucci. And Benucci. Yeah. Not only because, pretty much for the same reason as Cellini. I mean, you could have picked either or. Yeah. Um, I think he got two goals in the tournament. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Harry Kane. Yeah, cheers. But also, the way it was mainly him on Harry Kane in the final. And I know against Spain, it was Morata who's not as good. Um, but the way he marshals the striker and gets the striker into fun, um, favourable positions for himself, I, I, I guess it's experience of age, but I just loved the way he defended. Um, so he gets in. And then my right back is, I've mentioned him already, Joachim Mahele from Denmark. Um, Carl Walker was a great shout, but I just I think Denmark played so well and I loved what Mahele did. And I actually think one of the reasons England managed to stop them... Denmark is we kept Mahile quiet. Um, Luke Shaw was fantastic. Um, Sterling in front of him. Saka came on to the left towards the end and, and defended against him. I thought he was by far the one of the most under-radar players coming into the tournament that no one was talking about. The, the end, a lot of people were saying, who, who does he play for? And and I think he's one to look out for for Atlanta in the, in the future. So, uh, Ryan, we'll move on to your keeper and back line. Right, OK. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys on the keeper. Uh, obviously, Donnarumma is one of the best in the world. He's really young. He's won the tournament. I can understand why everybody's picked him. I'm actually picking Kasper Schmeichel. I think yeah. he's a massively, massively Good chap. Good chap. talent. Um, I, I think probably because he plays for Leicester and not someone bigger, he doesn't quite get the talent he deserves. Uh, the, mm. the praise he deserves. Uh, I thought, particularly against England, I thought he was absolutely colossal yeah. against us. Absolutely. Uh, the fact that we actually scored against them surprised me because he was amazing. Yeah. Not to mention the role he also played alongside Simon Kier yeah. when everything happened with Christian Eriksen as well. Yeah. Um, I think but... his performance, his attitude and everything, he deserves to be in the team. That role that Schmeichel played in the Denmark game uh, when Ericsson, he's done that before. He's got previous because when the Leicester City's owner's helicopter crashed, they had to hold him back from diving into the helicopter to try and get them out. He was physically held back. He yep. sprinted across the pitch and, and out through the door. to try. And they, so, there's the, yeah, his, his, his mental attitude is, is impressive and his ability is good. And he's not let his father overshadow him. On... That's actually what I was about to say. Now, the question I'm going to ask you two now, oh. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay out of. But I have a feeling I know Ryan's answer. Oh, I know what Ryan's Ryan, answer is going to be straight gonna... away. No, I don't think you do. Casper or Peter Ryan? Right. Let me first say this: Peter Schmeichel is an absolute legend of the game. Never mind just at Manchester United. He is an absolute legend. One of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. Now, having said that, the man was as mad as a sack of hammers. He was either fantastic or a complete disaster. So in terms of performance overall, I actually think his son is actually the better goalkeeper of the two. I tend to agree. I hate that. I, 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 four or five years ago, I would never have even thought about that. But this is, a, and, and the thing with Peter Schmeichel is, in front of him, he had a pretty decent defence, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, Bruce and Pallister for so long, and he had top-class players. You look at Schmeichel, he won the Premier League with Leicester. Uh, Wes Morgan, really? 
And Christian Fuchs, who I, I love Christian Fuchs. That man should be on TV every day. He's a genius. Uh, but uh, but he's he's never had he's never had the big names in front of him, Casper, at Leicester. Yet, look at what he's done. Look at what he's achieved. And then he goes to Denmark, and it's no surprise. I think Casper shades it over his dad. I know his dad won the Euro, you know, won everything he could win. Uh, the only trophy I don't think he won was a World Cup because he won the Euros, didn't he? Uh, yep. in in 92 but uh, uh um but i think casper's the better keeper simply because he's he's doing it with a a, a small team and there's no getting away from it they are they were and still are not a fancy team and they don't have the world class players that that uh, everybody else has got and he hasn't got world class defenders in front of him Peter Schmeichel had world-class defense. Well, he had very... He had a world-class defense. I'm not going to say Palliser and Bruce or that were world-class defenders, but what they were as was as a duo, they were absolutely superb. And with Dennis Irwin and... So he had a world-class defense in front of him, which yeah. made him look a little bit better. When he... You look at Euro 96 and you look at Peter Schmeichel's performance there, it wasn't that good. So, Casper wins it. Yeah, like I said, Peter Schmeichel was either fantastically brilliant or a complete nightmare. So for me, Cashbra gets the nod. Uh, left back, I've picked Luke Shaw. I think Luke Shaw throughout this whole tournament has been, has basically shown the perfect, has basically been the perfect fullback. Defensively, he's been solid. He's been good going forwards. He's got assists and he's got goals. I don't think you can. Spinazzola was amazing. But I think Luke Shaw just nails it. Jose, halves, Jose is going to love you. You know that, don't you? Probably. The centre-halves are not going to surprise anybody here. Chiellini and Maguire, they were both absolutely immense for the whole tournament. I feel a bit sorry. I do want to give a shout-out here to Tyrone Mings because I think he did a very good job in the group mm. stages. And I think he was very unlucky to lose his place to, to Harry Maguire. But Harry Maguire came in and showed that he was a leader both on and off the pitch. And his performances were absolutely... I use the word... I use the same word as I use for Catherine Schmeichel that I use with Chiellini and Maguire. Their performances were colossal. It was just nothing else. And at right back, I'm actually going to throw in one that neither of you guys have mentioned. And that was actually Denzel Dumfries from the Netherlands. I thought going forwards, Technically, is a wing back, but I think we can sneak him in on the right. Oh yeah, 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 think, of course you can. I think go. I think defensively, I think he was quite sound considering how bad that Holland squad was, and he was quite clearly a goal threat. So I think he he gets the right back for me ahead of Kyle Walker, who I thought that I, I will say the same thing for Kyle Walker as I did for Jordan Pickford. They performed admirably. But the further we got, the more nervous they seemed to get. And there was a couple of dodgy back passes from Kyle Walker at various points. And that's why he doesn't get in my team. Okay. Dumfries, I think, is a a fantastic shout. Um, He not only, I mean, mainly offensively, he obviously scored three goals, uh, got bombed up and down the wing, defensively quite solid. A lot of the goals Dutch conceded were down the left-hand side of their back line. Um, I, I felt he was a great shout, uh, but he, I did consider him. I, I just really like Mihile personally, but um, I think that's quite so. Basically, what I'm, what we've got is Donnarumma, Luke Shaw, Maguire, and we got a choice. Chiellini, Chiellini for me. 
And then yeah, the right back is... For me and all. Kyle Walker for me. Yeah, it's right open. open. It's like, we're not, we can't agree on that. There's two of us for Kyle oh. and one for... Yeah. yeah. So, Midfield? Well, no, I, th- I think out of... If, if, it's, if, it, if we're looking at building a team, I think it's two on one, so Kyle Walker gets the nod. Okay, that, that's fine. Fair enough. This is where I think we're going to possibly be mixed the most, the midfield three. So my midfield... I'll start uh, with my midfield um, three. I think Declan Rice is my first midfielder. Uh, I I went into this... I always knew Declan Rice was good. I always felt he was a good player. He's gone up in my books. To watch him be sound... I actually felt when he came off against Italy, we lost our shape a little bit easier. <coughs> um, I, I think he's a really good player. I think, you know, maybe not always the best to play when you're sitting with a five at the back. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Declan. Can I ask you a question about Declan Rice? Will he be a West Ham player on the first game of the season? Yes. Will he be a West yeah. Ham player at I the close of the transfer window? Yes. I have a feeling that. Okay, I think he's too. That, I think he's too think good he's for them. Good for West Ham. He's far too good. The lot of the rumours. I think Chelsea want him, but they seem quite hard on chasing Haaland at the minute, and if they. Spend the summer going after Haaland. They're not going to be able to afford the pair of them. They're not going to get Haaland. Rice is not going to be cheap. No, West Ham aren't going to budge. So I think it's going to take a lot of money. I think maybe next year Rice could go, but I see him at West Ham this year. I'll just chip in here and say I still think he'll be at West Ham for the whole of next season because of the the financial situation that all the clubs find themselves in. Declan Rice has also been heavily linked with Manchester United. Um, but we've, we're spending money already, so I don't think we're going to go for him this year. He's too talented for West Ham, but I think it will be until it, it, it won't be until the beginning of not this season, but the season after. That that's the thing for me. When you think of where would where could Declan go? Man United and Chelsea are the two that were being spoke about him. Man United just spashed was it seventy million on Sancho, so that's the majority of Man United's budget gone. Chelsea are the team that supposedly ever want him. They're chasing Haaland. As I don't think they're going to get Haaland. But how long are they going to spend chasing Haaland? And will it be too late? Will West Ham say to Rice, look, let's have one more year, then next year we'll send you off. Remember, West Ham also playing Europe this year. So yeah. they might hang around to get that European experience and then next year run off to a United, a Chelsea. And, whoever. And, and, I think he's going to have every team in. Every team is going to want Declan Rice. And Dortmund have said uh, they're not selling anymore this season. They've just said that in the last few days. So, Sorry, can I just cut in here? I, just, just to nail this one down. No one can afford Haaland. No one can afford Harry Kane. So those two, they're not going anywhere. I really? I, I, I'm not sure about Kane. I, don't, I think he'll go. I think he'll I go because I think he wants to go. I think Haaland's happy and he will take what's coming. But I think I think Harry Kane wants to go, and I think uh, I think if if you offer Tottenham hundred million for him, and someone will, and and I'll, I'll look towards Manchester, and they may be wearing blue. Uh, I don't think I don't think Manchester City or Manchester United, as much as they might want Kane, and as much as Kane might want to leave, I don't think Daniel Levy is going to let him leave. He's got three years on his deal. I, I think Kane's going to have to wait another year. I, I seriously think if someone comes in with a hundred million pounds and and you've got Kane, Kane want Kane, I think wants to go. And I and I seriously think if someone comes in with a hundred million, that's going to force uh, force uh, Levy's hands. 
And if Levy doesn't get get this decision right with the manager, I think that'll be his last management appointment before he's uh, given the exit as well at Spurs. Let's get back to the Euros. Uh, or just before we get back to the Euros, I just want to make a comment. I completely agree with Ryan. I think next summer, you'll see Haaland and Kane move on. I think this summer, because of COVID and the financial state, I don't see either of them going next year. I'd be shocked if we go into next season, and by next season, I mean 22-23, yeah. with Harry Kane at Tottenham and Haaland at, at uh, Dortmund. I could see either of them, as you said, I could see Harry Kane in Manchester. I could see Haaland in Spain or here. I mean, both of them, I would be shocked to see them remain. But um, anyway, moving on. Yes, your midfield. Rice. Yeah, Declan Rice. Who else uh, have you got, Ryan? An, another, oh. No, it's me. Oh, it's you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, alongside him, I have Jorginho. Um, I felt an Italian midfielder. I really felt that with any of the Italian midfielders could, could have been in there. Jorginho, Verratti, Barella, Locatelli. They were all even so good. Even though he's Brazilian. <laughs> yeah, even though he's yeah, Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, I just, I think Jorginho, I, I, I've grown to like him as a player. I always watched him at Chelsea and thought, you don't do anything, you just sit there. That's um, what he does. You just, you just sit there. But That's what he Italy, does. For Italy, it works. He gets the ball ticking and, and moves it. Maybe it's the players around him. It's his job. That just don't play. I know, but at Chelsea, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. But I think that might be down to the players. Where but, with Italy, he was passing to Spinazzola, Insigne, Chiesa, Barella. Like, as I said, any of the Italian midfielders could be on this list. Uh, Barella, Locatelli, Verratti, I think, played a lot more towards the end than he did at the beginning. But could equally be easily be on this list. He does the job for Italy that Didier Deschamps done for France in '98. He just sits there and he's like the water carrier. He gets, he wins the ball, he passes it off to the creative players. He can, he's very creative when he wants, but he doesn't need to. That's his job. He's got a set job. That's what he does, and, uh, and he does it well. We need to also give Jorginho credit because he's actually made the opposition keeper clap him in a penalty shootout. I don't know if you watched uh, the game against Spain. He does his little hop, skip, and jump, and the Spanish keeper dived and then got up and clapped him as the ball rolled into the net which I found hilarious yeah yeah uh, alongside Rice and Jorginho this one is one I, I think was it um, might be a little kind of a shock but <coughs> Pedri of, of Spain the 18 year old Pedri is no shock there he, no shock at all no I think he's incredible uh, you've he, got two out of my three I tell you he was the only Spanish player I looked at and thought I actually enjoy watching you I said it to Ryan, and it's a very unpopular take, I'm really aware, but I hate watching Spain. They are so boring. I don't care if you can pass the ball 900 times. If you're passing sideways, I don't care. It's boring. I don't want to see 900 passes in the same direction. When Pedri got the ball, Spain went from a possession team to a possession team that came at you. And every time Spain attacked, it came through Pedri. And he's only 18 years of age. That is, he is going to be a scary good player. I'm a big fan yeah. of him. But he needs uh, he needs talented players around him when he's in Spain for them to achieve anything, doesn't he? And I don't think they've got that yet. No, uh, I think that's the problem. We had a conversation about not need, need, needing a striker. I think Spain are probably the biggest one. Need a striker. Morata is yeah. woeful. Yeah, and they need a good defence and they haven't got that. All right, so moving on to Ryan. Should we go through your midfield? Right. Uh, well, mine is probably going to be a little bit different for both of yours. Oh. Declan Rice, again, for me, gets the nod. I think this was the tournament where he announced himself to be a top-class midfielder. We all knew he had the talent. I think the performances <laughs> have been 
I have matched the talent. Uh, the next one is going to be one that you probably won't pick because of how far he didn't get. But I just can't leave Angolo Kante out of any team. Yeah. The player I... is an absolute machine. I, they're they're yeah, just our words. Machine, phenomenon, whatever. I, I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad game since he signed for Leicester City, be that for France or for Chelsea. <coughs> so don't see how he can leave now. Um, yes, France didn't get that far, but I don't think he put a foot wrong in every single game that he played for France. Um, so for me, I can't not have him in my team. And the other one is no surprise, it's going to be an Italian, but it's Locatelli. I think Locatelli is a massive talent. I think his goals were fantastic. I think he was very unlucky to lose his place to Verratti, much in the same way that Tyro Mings lost his place to Harry Maguire. Um, so that's my midfield three. I think Mings, regardless of uh, how he played, was going to lose his place to Maguire when Maguire was fit, let's be honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, do, do you want, I mean, you can't argue. I mean, Locatelli, yeah. I don't think he stood out as well as Jorginho and Pedri for me. Um, but, yeah. Do you want mine now? Yeah, so it's just your remaining... All I will, sorry, quickly before you do, all I will say is you've been talking about Pedri, but he's got zero assists, zero goals, but Locatelli scored goals. I'm just going to chuck that in. Uh, yeah. Right I, mentioned, I did mention Locatelli. I felt Locatelli played really well. But I think Pedro. I think Pedri's, and uh, yeah, and I think Pedri's because of the talent that lies ahead of him. He had a very good tournament for an eighteen-year-old, and very, very good tournament. And so I've gone I for. That. I've gone for Jorginho, Jorginho, because as you, uh, yeah, for the same reason. There's no point, and I've gone for Pedri. Now I've got two players because I'm playing three in the midfield. I've got a, I've got a choice. Declan Rice is one who who is immense, but this is this choice, uh, and and I think you're going to think because this player at club level he just doesn't do it, but when he puts on his national shirt, oh no, you know where I'm going, don't you? Yeah, do. I've got Pogba. I am plumping for Rice, but I would have. I think Pogba, Pogba at international level is a beast of a player. At club level, for whatever reason, I don't know. He's not. I don't know what it is. I, can't. It's, I think, sorry, I'll just cut in here. Well, I think when it comes to Paul Pogba, I think it's very, the argument is very simple. When it comes to Paul Pogba, he's a fantastic talent. He's a world-class talent. He's not a world-class player because his attitude doesn't match his talent. However, yeah. him playing in the Premier League doesn't work. He doesn't get the time on the ball. He doesn't get the space he needs to do what he does best. And that's, that's why he was better suited in Italy that, and at international level. That's why I said at, at club level, everyone just says nah. But at international level, I'm I'm wanting Pogba in my team. But but I am going to go for Rice because Rice, you know, just as you said, just, just bust it, didn't he? Calvin Phillips, I thought, was excellent. Excellent. But I thought yeah. the two of them lost their way a little bit in the final and they were outgunned a bit and they needed more help. If I had another player in that final with them, as we said earlier, I think it could it would have been a different result. Right, so let's speed up this process. Yeah, we need more. to. So yep. The general thing is Rice, Pedri and Jorginho, I'm guessing then. Uh, so let's get on with our front threes. I'm, I'm going to assume that we are picking similar players. So I've gone Raheem Sterling. Do you have any opposition for that? No, nope, none at all. I'm fine with that one. 
I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Raheem Sterling, but he does make my team because at the end of the day, he's produced the goods, so you can't have, argue with it. I am... I, I, I appreciate Sterling more because when you actually sit and watch what he does, he will, he'll have runs and time and time again, he'll go up a blind alley. But you just need that one time when he doesn't and it, it happens. And that's why he's in my team. Yeah, I have Sterling. Opposite him is Federico Chiesa. That's where I've gone. We touched on him at the beginning. I think he was fantastic. I, yeah, yeah. I, can't wait to watch him play for Juventus. Yeah. And I think he only cost Juventus about £25 million. I think he's going to be better than his dad was. And His dad was a hell of a talent and he got badly injured. But his career ended at Chelsea. And Chelsea, really, we didn't get to see the best of him. But I think uh, his son is going to be a hell of a player. Hell of a player. And, and you've got to start looking at Italy for the, uh, the next World Cup, really. I'm afraid he doesn't make my side. Um, <gasps> I told Patrick Schick instead. Oh. Patrick Schick is my Patrick Schick is my striker. He is the the number nine in the middle. Five goals in a tournament. He, I know Ronaldo won gold gold of the uh, tournament, uh, like golden boot. But that's what happens when you win twenty six penalties. Um, Schick <laughs> play scored what five six goals. Uh, took down. Scotland from the halfway line makes him a hero in my book. Oh, that, that's legendary. Well, the keeper, he got an assist from the keeper there, though, didn't he? And then, obviously, he also scored against Holland. I think um, he deserves a lot of credit. And I agree but with Ryan. but what, what would he do up against a good defence? I, I still... I think... I think, listen, a decent, a half-decent defence. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not being nasty, but the Scot Scotland haven't got a half-decent defence, have they? I think if you can score 15-plus goals in the Bundesliga, you're a good striker. Well, 15-plus, but then, you know, that's only 15. I want 20. I don't think he's that good. Well, that's why my number nine is Romelu Lukaku. And I'm with you on that one. And that's where I'm with you as well. Because that team with Lukaku up front, I mean, he's going to get out for, won't he? So Let's just going... be honest. Sorry, let's just be honest. If Lukaku was in the same state that he was, that he's in now at Manchester United between the time that Jose Mourinho left and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saw out his first year, then Lukaku does not leave Manchester no. United. No. But the bottom line was he was massively overweight. He was massively unfit. And that's why they sold him ultimately. And that's but now. But that's. He's a beast. He's a beast. But that's down to both the player and the club. They're Absolutely. both to blame for that. And now he is a beast. He's an absolute beast. He's a menace. He's a menace is the word. He's an absolute menace. So I, guess, I guess our our three then will be Sterling, Chiesa and Lukaku. I mean, that's not a bad Absolutely. team. Either. That's that's not a bad uh, team. We've picked their rival, to be honest. A, a quick question before um, we get on to our last topic, which will be very fast. Um do you know who was the, the two leading point scorers in fantasy football for the Europa, the European Championships? The two leading point scorers? Donnarumma. I'll give you a clue. I would. I'll give you a clue. They're both English. I'd say Sterling. I'd say, I'd say uh, Shaw. Yeah, so, the, yeah. so you were right as the two. Luke Shaw had 43 points. Sterling had 39. Then there was two players on 36, which was Jordan Pickford and... <clears throat> I think Mahile from Denmark. Uh, Emil Forsberg had quite a lot of points as well. Just, so. God, it's just horrible because it's a few weeks, a couple of days down the line. If we'd have made that change on the hour, we could have won that game. It's horrible. Yeah. 
sorry, but just last topic before we finish for the evening. Um, looking next year, as we've said, is the World Cup. Um, are Italy now the favourites in your books, Ryan? No, they're not. Um, I think even though it's only 18 months away, there's so many things that can happen in between now and then. Um, <coughs> and the thing that concerns me the most with Italy was, although they still scored a, a lot of goals and um, they won the thing, uh, their, their, their central strikers failed to show. Chiro Immobile scored goals in the... In the um, in the group stages, but then dried up. So it's hard to tell who's going to be the favourite for the next tournament. And and really and the other thing with Italy is Kalinu is a massive uh, Kalinu is a massive influence. He's not going to yeah. go on forever. He's not going to go on for no. the ever. And the next World Cup is eighteen months away. He just needs a couple of niggling injuries, and you see what happens to older players. Yeah, uh, I think there's he's a big. One... Sorry, he's got. He's just signed a new one-year deal with Juventus, so he may make the World Cup. But you just don't know. He's going to be about 38 by then. Yeah, I think there may be, for a central defender, that you need, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have to have someone quick alongside him, really quick alongside him to cover for him. And that may be, I think Mancini might say to him, pat him on the head and say, you've been brilliant, mate, but let's leave it there, shall we? Unless they've got some... Who would you say is going to be the favourites? The bookies have Brazil... France and England as the three favourites. The, the, the bookies Cup. always have Brazil because they're Brazil and it's got nothing to do with because they've got players, but they're um, no Brazil, no. I mean, Argentina have just won the Cup of America, haven't they? If I remember rightly, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Well, so, so they've got to be, and I'm not going by the FIFA rankings because as Dan knows, I hold no regard for those FIFA rankings whatsoever. There is we, no point. Uh, don't get me started on FIFA. We could do a whole episode on my, what I think of the FIFA rankings. Uh, it's difficult to say. I think England have got a great chance. Uh, I think uh, Italy, if they can replace Chiellini properly, uh, have got a good chance because they've got such a talented squad. And I agree with the strikers. They let us. They let it. They were Italy did it without someone banging in goals. You know, as a as an out and out striker which is uh, unusual because normally when they've got someone over the years, they've had uh, all sorts. And looking at around Europe, Germany, no, not at the moment. They've, they've lost, the, they just had their golden generation and that's well and truly end. That really ended at the World Cup. and the, So they're still in transition. They'll have a new manager. I don't know who he's going to pick. That's the thing. I mean, who's, who's he going to pick? The new, the new boss. Um, France will be there or thereabouts, won't they? Uh, because they've yeah, got some yeah. good players. Um, if they can make their mind up who they want to play up front, Giroud, it may be too much for because he's getting on a bit as well, wasn't he? So I think he still has to go. If he can stay, uh, he's just obviously um, as I, Chelsea in real life. As I've Sorry, just... He's going to be about 36 by the time the World Cup comes around. Giroud will be about 36, going on 37. I can't see him making that squad. He's been absolutely wasted in this country by the two by the two clubs that have had him. Absolutely wasted because there's a reason he'll get you. He'll do the job and get the. You know he's just uh, just criminal. What's happened to him in England? He should have gone back, gone somewhere else, uh, and been appreciated. I don't think he's been appreciated in England by these clubs at all. Well, that's the thing. Now, obviously, he's he's going to Italy. He's looks set to move to AC Milan. Might have been completed already. I'm not sure. It is. I saw something about that, yeah. So I think if he can go to Italy one more year, perform okay, I can see him getting in the squad, maybe not starting, but being in the squad. Mbappe. Uh, Mbappe. 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 
I know he's a talent, but he's 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 still young. And that's the thing that France have got in their favour, that he's still quite in it. He's got a lot of experience, but he's still quite young. I'm going to no... make a... Sorry, can I just cut in here? Sorry, I'm going to make a really controversial statement that you might not agree with. Kylian Mbappe, I think, is going to be very similar in situation as Marcus Rashford. People think he's a striker. He ends up playing on the left wing. And I think if they don't move him central and play him and he learns to be a number nine, I think he's destined to stay out there on the left wing. Does he need to leave PSG to develop properly? Or does, should he stay? No, I think he needs to leave PSG, and I wouldn't recommend him going to a Real Madrid or something like that. I think he no, needs to learn how to play up front first. That's okay. exactly what I was going to say. For me, Mbappe has the ability to be the best striker in the world. Has the potential sorry, to be the best striker in the world, but he needs to go and play, play through the middle the, he, even at PSG, he plays second fiddle to Neymar. Even when they had, you know, they have Icardi this year played through the middle. That's to their detriment, then, isn't it? Yeah, that's the that's the problem. Like, they were played Icardi through the middle this year, so he should leave, Icardi, shouldn't he? Icardi's a talented player, but for me, Mbappe should have been playing ahead of him. So he should leave, really, shouldn't he? Yeah. If all I'm saying is, and this is going to sound really weird coming from a Man United fan. If I'm Kylian Mbappe, at this point in my career, I'm trying to get myself to Manchester City so I can be the number one man in the team, have everybody have that midfield serve me, and then in a couple of years' time, I go to Madrid. It's going to yeah, cost us. Gonna... But Man City, if any of the teams going to have the money, it's Man City, PSG. Mm. They're the two teams yeah, well, with that, that kind of money, and Man City uh, can spend it. I think you'll find Man City might spend a fair amount on a North London striker this summer. I stand by that. Right, final question before we head off. The obviously we know the World Cup's in Qatar. Yeah. How much will the conditions affect the overall very uh, little tournament? Very little because the stadiums uh, are air conditioned. Uh, I've got a friend who's out there and he's been into one of the stadiums and he said it's very it's just, it's great. It's very comfortable. He's he's he watched football the other day and he was in um outdoors it was nearly 50 degrees inside the stadium. Oh, it was it's about 60 odd degrees, you know exactly. Yeah. And he said the stadiums it's the training's going to be the tough thing because if they're training outdoors in the heat. But even in November it's around it's around about 70. It's around 70, 75, it can be, in, in, in there in, 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 in the time of year that the World Cup is, is on. Um, so, but it, it will, but the, it's not too bad. So that's uh, not going to be a big issue for the players. I'm, I'm going to disagree. I actually think it's going to be a massive issue for the players. I think um, the laws over there are so fundamentally different to anything they're going to experience. Their free time is going to be cut majorly. The the training temperature, as Pete said, I think is going to be bigger than the match day temperature. The, the, for play, the players' free time. Yeah, is well, it, yeah. I, the, the, your, no. your, I guess like the, you know, your when you're unless unless they adapt the rules for tr staying in their camp, they're not allowed to do so many things. But let's not get political about it. That you can well, do yeah. your comes to here or in France. Well, that's that's um, that's not technically correct. Uh, that you need to you, you need to understand where they'll be wherever they're staying. They, I mean, they hardly left St George's Park. Uh, they they went into a local town for coffees now and again, but they pretty much were in a bubble in St George's Park, and that's what they'll probably do in Qatar. But 
there are places and you go to the shopping malls in Qatar and it, if you're walking around the shopping malls in, 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 in Doha for a start, uh, it, you, you could, other than it's a bit warmer and people are wearing slightly different clothes, there's no different to a shopping mall in the Blue Water. And in, in fact, they've got bars selling alcohol to... Uh, for, not for the residents, but but the bar. But if you're a, a foreign tourist or a foreign visitor or, or an expat living there, you can freely go for a drink. It's it's not as quite as as it would be if it was say in Saudi Arabia. So I think that's a little bit of a, a red herring there. Uh, once you know what it's like to live in somewhere like Qatar, it is they're very flexible. They're not as strict as some countries would be. They do have things that they frown on, but yeah, but you know. I think the other thing that uh, England are going to suffer, uh, I don't think we'll win it. Um, I don't think we'll get much past the quarterfinals. I think it's our tactical style of play. I think a, a hard-pressing game in somewhere like that, I don't think is going to be completely beneficial. Um, it, people were tired in the final, so if you can imagine what they're doing like that when it's 75 degrees. Yeah, but they've... It's yeah, Right, it's not going to be 75 degrees on the pitch, on pitch side. It's not going to be 75. It's going to be much lower because it's air-conditioned. They're pumping cold air into the stadiums. They are not at 75 degrees. I think they're also something to remember. that This is the first tournament in my lifetime. I don't know if the previous ones have been, but this is going to be a tournament in November. The players are going to have a summer of rest. This is going to be pretty much a fully fit are they? team. Are they? Are yeah, they going to... Are they going to get to the end of? Are they going to get to the end of the season in May? And are they then going to go on a tour with England, play, uh, probably go out to Doha uh, or Qatar or somewhere out there and play a few games at the end of the season, a cup, two or three pointless games at the end of the season when they should be, as you think, resting. I think once this season finishes, maybe one game, play one game and then rest them, rest them for a couple of months and get them back in in August. Um, this won't ha- that won't happen be- because. The international schedule, we our European Nations League happened that summer, the qualifiers. So the June internationals will still happen, but they won't be there'll be qualifiers, there'll be Nations League. Yeah. And then the October round of the October international break is then qualifiers for the European Championships. So they've so got qualifiers for the European Championships just before the World Cup. Yeah. And but sorry. They and still get their sorry. summer. Yeah, but and sorry, don't forget you've still got all the commercial aspects. And the pre-season, extended pre-season friendlies that all the football clubs do. Yeah. Uh, do. Don't forget, they're probably going to chuck a couple of extra in at the end of the season. Yep. Because so many clubs have lost so much money throughout COVID that yeah. they're going to try and grab every opportunity they can to fill their pockets. My thing is, uh, they, I think they should pick a squad and uh, pick, uh, pick, pick a squad and have one game and then just keep the squad together for a couple of weeks and just let them rest together and enjoy them. Just have a bit of... Uh, bit of time doing nothing they let them have they've got to have a break next summer because they're not getting one this year because premier league teams are back in training now they're starting friendlies at the weekend so these lads who've just played a whole season an extended season because it started uh, the other previous seasons finished late and the new season started uh, you know a little, a little bit late so they've had that long season they've not had a break and they need, they need, I mean, there's an argument for them to not be starting for their teams in August, but that won't happen. They will. And they'll, they'll have two weeks out, two weeks to rest, and then they'll be back playing. And it's not the, not just the physical side of that. 
is also the mental side that it's a continual continual grind of playing football after football and they, you cannot mentally get yourself up for a game every other every other day it's just not possible now not at the at the level they're expected to perform at there yeah, we go. that's a very good point so i think we're going to wrap up today so uh, that's all thank you to the pair of you for joining me on our first episode back as the football funders uh, thank you all people that tune in to our podcast you can find us on our youtube channel which is football funders pod and feel free to leave us questions on there or we have an email which is footballfunderspod at gmail.com the twitter account will be coming in the near future so as again thank you to the pair of you thank and, you very uh, much for no worries goodbye Bye-bye.